This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode 346. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast. I am your substitute host, Jake Paulson, joined today by co-host Matthew Marister. What's up, dude? Hey, uh, my substitute co-host or my real co-host. <laughs> I, I think you're a real co. You're always a co-host, <laughs> right? Right. We're both co-hosts, I think, technically, and so I am taking the role of substitute host. Okay. So I I maintain my same co-host status. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna have a great episode today. The title of today's episode is "I Call BS: Stop Shaming and the Perfect Loadout," and this is uh, inspired by a meme that I saw yesterday, which is which is you know something that's not unusual. It's a, it comes from a common phrase we've heard many 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 times over the last many 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 years, and today we're gonna take the beef and uh, I'm gonna get up on my soapbox and get angry a little bit. So that's the plan. Before we do that, though. Now, let's, a word from our sponsors today. So today's episode is sponsored by Wilderness Tactical. Wilderness Tactical is a wonderful American business based out of Arizona. These guys sell a lot of different products. Their website is thewilderness.com. And they actually gave us a special coupon code for podcast listeners. And I'm going to give you that coupon code to you here in a minute because it's a pretty sweet deal. It's 15% off. But wow. let's talk quickly about some of their products. So Matthew, what uh, Wilderness Tactical products do you have experience with? Uh, I have their um, the ankle IFAC one that everybody seems to have really uh, real good it's like a not a neoprene but it has that stretchy material and then inside it's nice and padded and um, out of all the ankle IFAC kit we're not talking about like what's in it but like the the rig itself it's probably one of the nicest ones I've seen mm-hmm. yeah and it's very affordable I might add mm-hmm. too I mean I've yeah. seen some out there that are 100 bucks this thing retails I think for $40 or maybe 50 bucks or something. I don't know, guys. You have to check the wilderness.com. These guys also, uh, I, I brought, they're probably best known for their belts. I mean, in fact, a lot of people just assume that's the only thing they make. They make a ton of belts. And I've been wearing a wilderness tactical belt for many a year. And uh, I've always been very, very happy with the with the quality and with the construction and just how much they last. Also, how customizable the belts are if you want to put in a money pouch or you know, what kind of buckle you want, color, size, etc. So they, they do a great job there. Um, I have one of their mag pouches. They have really nice, you know, simple to uh, use mag pouches. And of course, I, I think the last time they sponsored an episode of our podcast, we talked about their ankle holster. And Riley and I had been trying those out and using them and they have a decent good little ankle rig that's very comfortable, very well made, been around for a very long time. And they also have been expanding more, as you mentioned, into the trauma area. You mentioned their ankle IFAC. They also have a new field trauma pouch, which is really good. You can strap it onto a belt when you're on the range or you could have it in your range bag. And I know they developed that one in conjunction and partnership with John Korea. And they just, they just got a lot of good stuff. So for 15% off at thewilderness.com, use coupon code CCPOD15. CCPO as in, I don't know, O for Oscar. Oscar, that sounds boring. I was trying to think of something really exciting. <laughs> I don't know. Mm. Oh, okay, CCP Oscar Delta 15. There you go. So go use that coupon code 15% off at thewilderness.com. That is today's sponsor of our podcast. You ready to get into it, Matthew? I'm ready. 
All right. So let's talk about how this conversation started. And oh my goodness, this morning's company meeting was a disaster because this came up and we were just going back and forth and digging into it. It, it was it was wild. So let's let's talk about what happened. I was cruising a Facebook group yesterday and I saw a meme and the words in the meme were and you know, I, I'm not sure if I'm, I might be quoting it slightly off, but you've, you've heard a variant of this phrase bazillions of times. And it's something along the lines of, if you don't carry with a round in the chamber, you might as well leave the gun at home. So Matthew, you, have you heard this? Are you guilty of having ever said this? I, I've heard it once or twice. Um, I don't think I've ever said it, but I have been guilty of, I'll say, um, you know, full transparency. I have had the, the mindset of like, I, I do definitely believe that you should carry with a run in the chamber, um, but I've never gone to this to the you know to the next level and said like if you don't you shouldn't carry a gun. Yeah, and that's that's really kind of the premise is if you don't carry with a run in the chamber you shouldn't you shouldn't carry a gun at all, right? It's, right. And and it's a, it's a it's a very absolutist kind of idea, and I appreciate like you said kind of the origin which is that. Um, it is an extreme best practice to carry with a round in the chamber, right? That it's not, it's not a debatable thing. It's not of a sort of kind of better than not having a round in the chamber. It's right. a big deal kind of thing. And I think the first episode of this podcast ever, Matthew, where you participated was episode 18. And that was the topic of that episode. Yeah. Yeah. That is kind of, it, it, it was because, you know, to, to me, I mean, I, 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 there's rarely things that I say are absolute, right? Like, because life's too complex to, to live in absolutes. But like you said, carrying with a run in the chamber just makes a ton of sense. But I understand where people have that uh, concern. And so, you know, I kind of wrote that article a long time ago, just to kind of say like, if I, I, I understand you have a concern, and here's how to kind of overcome that concern. Um, rather than just shaming somebody or just saying like, this is the only way that it should be done, period don't talk to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're on the same page. I carry with a round in the chamber. Got a chamber in the gun right now that's on me and or got a round in the chamber of the gun that's on me mm -hmm. right now. That's just, that's how I roll. I think there's three kind of, if we're getting really simplistic, the purpose of this episode is not to, you know, to, to really cover this topic, but if we're getting really simplistic, there's the kind of three core advantages. One is the one that I think most people focus on, which is speed, right? Certainly my draw stroke and presentation targets can be a little bit faster. Uh, how much faster is arguable, but it's going to be a little bit faster if I don't have to rack the slide. Uh, second would be uh, ammo capacity, one more round in the gun, right? And which if you're carrying a pretty low capacity gun, that gets especially relevant. And third would just be one-handed manipulation, right? If I'm holding my child or if I'm holding off the knife that's trying to stab me or whatever, and I have to draw one hand and present a target, that makes it more difficult to rack the slide as part of that draw stroke. So that's, you know, that, is that a fair kind of quick summary of, the, of that issue? Yeah, and I would even add in one more is um, the just racking the slide on a semi-automatic that in, you can induce malfunctions, right? That sure. sometimes a slide doesn't go all the way in a battery or things like that. So, um, or you know, you short stroke it. So I would say even to that, there there is a potential that even if everything goes right and you go to rack your slide, you may short stroke short stroke it and not actually chamber around. So, yep. I would yeah. Valid. Super, super valid. So 
don't get us wrong. Me and me and Matthew, we're on we're on that side of the debate, right? You should probably. And if I get asked the question, I usually answer it something along the lines of, uh, "I think you should get comfortable and trained enough that you're that you you know feel good about carrying with around in the chamber." And I think that should be the objective is getting that mm. point. Now that said, that said, why do I take issue then with this idea that you know, if you don't have a round in the chamber, you might as well leave the gun home? Well, that seems like a, 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 a that seems like a phrase to me that is so absolutist, so ridiculous, so asinine, so so dangerous and stupid that it makes me want to vomit a little bit inside. <laughs> it really does. Like I just can't come to grips conceptually with the idea that we would tell someone that if you don't have a round in the chamber, you should leave the gun home. And and this this is this is not going to be all about round in the chamber. We're gonna we're gonna apply this to some other thoughts here in a minute. But but Matthew, I mean, okay, I mean, so so there there are still circumstances where it's okay, right, to have a gun without a round in the chamber. I mean, it's still going to be used in your defense, right? Yeah, I mean, we we touched all the all the drawbacks, right? But here here's here's kind of the rub of like saying that to somebody, and um, I think it was there was a comment in Facebook that I wanted to mention in conjunction to this point. Um, from Clinton. And he says, train them, don't shame them. So I think the comment that you're saying as far as like, oh, if you don't carry with one in the chamber, which is a good practice, you shouldn't have the gun at all. That's just basically shutting off a conversation, shaming somebody. And instead of somebody's, you know, training them and saying, this is why, and these are the drawbacks and benefits. And even after all is said and done, if you choose to carry with uh, with an empty chamber, then you do so understanding the drawbacks, right? And so at that point, then everybody is, you know, should be able to be an adult and carry the gun however they want. Um, and so we, we, as trainers, and I think that's why that got under your skin so much is as a trainer, you want to help people overcome those barriers. And when people say those types of statements, it shuts down any sort of training or development. Yeah, I just I call <laughs> such BS. And I mean, I have to stop and ask myself this. Let's imagine I'm traveling for work and my kids and my wife are what? At a restaurant in the grocery store, insert location here. And uh, active shooter happens, right? And my wife's not armed, maybe. My kids are vulnerable. Would I rather have a gun owner there with a gun with no round in the chamber or would I prefer if that person had left their gun home that day? That seems, I mean, obvious, right? I mean, isn't right. it clearly blatantly obvious? I'd rather that dude be there even though his chamber is empty. At least my, my wife and kids have somebody who might protect them. Uh, and, and, and frankly, I mean, to be clear, the speed's pretty overcomable. I mean, we're, I, how long does it take to rack the slide if you train that well? Does it yeah. increase your draw speed by what, half a second, one second? Uh, so are there circumstances out there where half a second or one second is the difference between winning and losing the gunfight? Yes, absolutely, without question, and that's why you should have a round in the chamber. But do 100% of self-defense incidents, you know, are they, are they going to be made or broken by half a second to one second of draw speed? Absolutely not. You know, I don't know what the percentage is. That's really not the point. The point is that there are some situations where that speed is not the determining factor, right? Where, uh, you know, it just, it's not the issue. And so, so 
I mean, how many situations are there that you can de-escalate the fight without firing a round at all? Right. You know, I, I just seems to me asinine to say that kind of an absolute thing of, well, you just shouldn't just might as well leave it at home. Might as well, not, might as well carry a club was one of the comments I saw on, right. on this meme. And I was like, might as well carry a club. Are you joking? <laughs> Well, and you know, you can even apply that to, and I see, see it similarly as far as the, the concept of having a safety on your everyday carry gun, right? There's some people that say like, you will never have the, the, you know, fine motor tactile skills in, in an incident to sweep off your safety. Well, okay. Uh, I've seen videos of people, you know, going to use their firearm to defend themselves and realizing, oh no, it's not firing and then taking it off safe and still get, you know, saving their their lives. Now, certainly that's not what you want to train for, but like when people say that, you know, the absolute like, oh, well, I'll never carry that because that's stupid and you'll never be able to manipulate a safety in a, in a critical situation. That's just not true. And it might dissuade somebody from, carrying a firearm because they want to have a manual external safety for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you just made me think of something, Matthew. I mean, you're, you were a Marine uh, mm-hmm. and, and a police officer. You used some sort of carbine rifle, I assume, mm-hmm. uh, during both of those jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, fair to assume that you put the safety on every time you were done shooting and you disengaged it every time before you started shooting. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Absolutely. Somehow that's perfectly fine and normal both for you know military operators, law enforcement, and civilians on a rifle, but on a handgun, we all freak out about it. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I do not carry a handgun. I don't have an EDC gun. I don't have a carry gun that has a, a, a manual active turn-off safety switch. But I'm, I'm just merely saying that it's crazy that we would shame that so much when on a carbine, it's a per- perfectly acceptable thing that we just right. train people to disengage the safety when they shoot and then put it back on when they're done. <laughs> and, and somehow on a handgun, that's that's... That's horrible, you know, and that's a, you're a bad person. Yeah, and, and even so, I mean, like revolvers never have safeties, right? Like, so, and people carried them for, for for much longer than they were carrying semi-automatics. You know, police officers carried revolvers, and they never had safeties. So, it, it, I mean, the the idea is like I think, and I'll go back to like that trainer mentality is that like you realize after dealing with a lot of different scenarios and different people and different situations that the one solution that might work for you doesn't work for everybody else. And so it it agitates me too when I see that because I see in the comments, people will say that. And then, you know, it just turns into a a pile on attack where nothing beneficial is, is going to come of it. And it makes people scared to ask for help. You know, it's like, oh, I don't know if I should have a manual external safety or not, but I just saw that guy get, you know, like assailed because he said that he, you know, wants a manual external safety and Glock doesn't have one. So he's not going to carry a Glock. And it's like, why am I going to even put myself out there and ask for help from these people that are just going to assail me because I don't agree with them in the way they think? So, yeah, it, it, I mean, a, a child gets defensive, right? <laughs> a, a, a loser uh, takes a opportun- looks for opportunities to make themselves feel warm inside. But a, mm-hmm. but a true coach, mentor, or a good human being you know, asks themselves, how can I help others? And, and that's, that's kind of the point here. Let me, let me tell a Kyle Lamb story. And this story he shared with us, I don't know if it was 
on on the podcast or if it was on our Garden Nation live broadcast we had with him, but I'm, I'm sure he'd be comfortable sharing it. And I'll add, Kyle, if you're listening to this and I butcher this story, I'm sorry. I'm just going from memory. But the story goes something along the lines that after Kyle got out of uh, the military service, and obviously this is a very reputable, well-trained you know man over a decade with Delta Force, he uh, went and got his first concealed carry gun and his permit, and he was at some sort of social function with a bunch of friends. And he told them that he had gotten his first gun, and and they asked, you know, someone asked, well, "What gun is it?" And he's, it was a, a Bursa Thunder, you know, 380, or I, I think that's what it was. And you know, that's that's a decent little carry gun, but it's a 380 auto, and uh, it's certainly not, you know, the most popular brand out there, being a Bursa. And so he, you know, someone made some comments, you know, he got some heat, you know, probably something along the lines of, oh, that girl gun or that rabbit shooter or, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't remember you know, exactly what was said. And so he, he replied to one of the people who had made one of these comments said, well, what do you carry? And that person, of course, you know, said 19, full size 1911, you know, 45 ACP, seven plus one, you know, John Moses Browning and, and all sorts of good and warm, fuzzy feelings. And Kyle said, where do you carry it? And he says, it's in my truck. And that's the punchline. And, and here, here's the point of this. I'll never forget the story because it changed forever how I think about this topic. Because the reality is none of us carry in the perfect loadout. None of us do. I mean, Matthew, what is, what is the perfect loadout? I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about. What, what do I mean when I say, you know, what's, what's perfect? Yeah, I mean, if, if you were thinking of every possible scenario you might be involved and in, you'd be carrying, you know, less lethal, you would be carrying the biggest capacity firearm you could, you would be carrying a tack light, you'd have a weapon mounted light, you would have some sort of restraining device, and God forbid you have to restrain somebody with a, you know, um, medical gear, right? So you'd have all this stuff, um, and that's, that's just not practical for many people, right? Yeah. You'd be, a, you'd be a cop. You'd have a duty belt. I mean, go, go look at an <laughs> right. officer and see what they're carrying. That's probably pretty close to the ideal loadout. I mean, we could argue, you know, the specific gun or, you know, brand of whatever, but, but I mean, kind of that's it, you know, duty rig, a uh, gun at three o'clock, full size gun, two to three spare mags. Like you said, less lethal options, restraining device, some medical gear, you know, <laughs> like, that would, that would be your ideal loadout, but that's completely ridiculous. None of us listening to this do that on a regular daily basis concealed uh, or part of our daily life without a badge on. So, so we all have to you know, kind of acquiesce to the reality that we're, none of us carry the perfect loadout, that all of us have room for improvement, right? No matter, no matter what gun you're carrying, no matter what holster it's in, no matter what carry position it's in, uh, no matter how many spare mags or other stuff you have part of your EDC, you are not in the perfect loadout, which means there is room you could improve. Now, where you're at is just your personal journey. Yeah, and and I don't think that ever truly ends because you might find something that works for you now, but five years from now, your abilities either increase or maybe decrease. Maybe you don't train as much or as often. And and so, I mean, I'll I'll give you my, when when I was carrying off duty, I carried a Glock 27 because um, I wanted all my calibers. I was issued um, a 40 uh, at the police department. So I naturally, I wanted to carry 40 as my uh, off-duty, you know, subcompact uh, concealed firearm. 
And so I carried that for quite a long time because, and truthfully, for whatever reason, I could shoot that gun very, very well. Um, but as I developed and as I, you know, different holsters came out and I, I began to learn how I could draw a little bit quicker and in, in, in out of specific holsters and, and how, when I'm carrying more now, um, in civilian clothes, um, the, the different ways and, and benefits of carrying, you know, this type of holster with this type of clip. And so I've advanced, I, I've changed my, you know, my everyday carry. And, um, and so I think that there's sometimes we get really defensive over what we've done in the past because changing it somehow means we were wrong. And that's, that's not the case, right? It's, it's like that adage of like throwing good money after bad, right? It's like you just reinvest because to, to change would mean, oh, I failed or I, I was wrong before. And that's not, not necessarily the case, especially in concealed carry. I mean, there's new guns coming out. There's different types of calibers. There's, there's all kinds of different, you know, sites and stuff. And maybe you, you say, you know what, that worked for me. Great. But I'm going to try this. Oh, wow. You know, this feels really good. And I can carry an extra two rounds, like the 365, an awesome gun, right? And so the 43 is, let's say it's comparable in size, but if you could shoot the 365 just as well and have more capacity, it doesn't mean that you were wrong when you're carrying the the Glock 43, right? So I I think there's a, there's a pushback sometimes that's not necessary. Um, It's just a, a growth. We have to learn to grow. We also have to learn how to facilitate others in their growth, right? There's a tendency to assume that because I've learned something that therefore I should subject my paradigm on others, right? Well, I, I already conquered, you know, the question of if I should carry around in the chamber or if I should have a spare magazine or what the minimum capacity should be in a daily carry gun or what the best carry position is or whatever other opinion I've generated through my own education and experience. And so when I hear somebody else say something that's contrary to that, well, I already, I already know, right? I've already learned. And so I want to subject my paradigm that I have now on those other people. And, and that's, that's not helpful. <laughs> that's not supportive. <laughs> right. uh, we got to call BS on that stuff. And, and there's, you know, we, we started out by talking about carrying with around the chamber. And then you mentioned the external safety thing. There's tons of stuff in that same realm, in that same category, right? I mean, could, could I arguably say anyone who carries an ankle holster might as well leave the gun at home? No, that I mean not realistically, but but could we say that the ankle rig is not the ideal carry position? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it's not. Like if you're carrying ankle, I'm sorry, that is not ideal. Uh, I could definitely tell you that the off-body carry is not the ideal carry position. There's no question about it. It's not as good. But does that mean that if you carry a gun in your purse or in your backpack or whatever thing that you might as well leave it at home? I don't think so. Here, here's where I'm, we're going to transition a little bit, Matthew. I want to talk about what I would call deal breakers. In other words, if, if, I made you, if, if I made you insert into a sentence, right? If I have a big blank line where you have to insert words and I, then, I, then I, after that I follow it with, um, you, you know, you'd be better off leaving it at home. Mm-hmm. What are the very few number of things that we could insert? In other words, you know, blank, 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 uh, or, or you'd, rather, you'd be better off carrying it, leaving it at home. Like what are some things that actually are so bad that you'd probably be better off not even having the gun with you? Yeah, I would say, I mean, obviously the safety thing is, is probably the first thing that pops into my mind, not external safety. I'm talking about understanding how to contr- handle the gun and, and load it and unloading it because in that case, 
you may have the gun on you, but if you're so terrified that you don't know which end, you know, the bullet comes out of, or you can't load it or unload it, you're probably not going to be able to use that firearm to defend yourself. And potentially it could be used against you. Or let's say you do squeeze off around if you don't understand how, how, you know, how to use it. And I'm not saying you have to have expert training, but you have to have an understanding of how the gun works because you end up shooting somebody else. It's probably not going to be a good day. Right. So I would say the first thing that I would say is, you know, a, if you don't do this, you might as well leave it at home is understand how the gun works and be able to, you know, load it, unload it, take it off safe, put it on safe, uh, point it in the right direction, squeeze a trigger and hit a relatively, you know, decent size, man size target, acceptable uh, accuracy before you, before you carry the gun. Yep. So some, some extremely foundational skills that you're talking about and knowledge, right? With yes. you know, how to hold a gun, how to point a gun, how to squeeze the trigger, having some sense for what recoil is going to feel like, uh, having enough marksmanship skill that I can hit a man-sized target from, you know, probably five or so yards mm-hmm. uh, and, and not miss half the time. You know, so extremely basic stuff, right? Like if you've ever shot a gun, you know, if you've put 100 rounds through a handgun, you've probably have met the criteria you're describing, right, Matthew? Right. I mean, no, like, sub-second draws and being able to do tack reloads. and all. I mean, I'm just saying you, you, you need to understand how to, how to use the gun. Yep. I, I agree. And I think there's other safety things in that, in that category, right? If we said, you know, you, the, you, if, you, if you can't carry a gun safely, you might as well leave it at home. That, that's kind of a thing we're inserting into our sentence here. And you mentioned some fundamental skills. I think there's some other fundamental things related to safety, like the holster itself. You know, are you carrying it in an unsafe holster rig? You know, are you, are you just chucking a gun in a purse? You know, that, that's not safe. Are you using an Uncle Mike's nylon neoprene crap holster uh, that you, you know, anyone, you know, sna- snagging your own clothing or your zipper from your jacket onto something that's going to pull onto that trigger is going to get you shot in the leg? Uh, that's a problem, you know. So I think that, you know, I, I, for me, I, there's two kind of holster you know, I'll call them deal breaker safety issues. One is the the inability for that gun to be fired when in the holster, right? The trigger guard fully protected such the trigger cannot be uh, pressed to the rear. And uh, some form of retention, some form of retention such that I, I have the, the jogging test, right? If I run down the sidewalk, the gun better not bounce out of my holster and fall on the ground. That kind of retention. So, so those would be two other things that I think of, you know, relative to you'd be better off leaving the gun at home. I think you are better off leaving the gun at home if you're not carrying it uh, with, with a holster that is safe. And I'll add to that, that in addition to the physical holster itself, there's also some concerns for me relative to methodology or practice or process. So for example, if you're a person who gets in the car and pulls it out and chucks it in the console, you know, I have a, I have a problem with that. If you're a person who uses off-body carry, um, you put it in your little backpack holster when you go to school, you're a college student, then you sit that backpack down at the bottom of the chair when you're working on your laptop in the, in the lounge, uh, in, in the cafeteria, you know, or, or, you know, you stick the bag and in the front of the shopping cart when you're grocery shopping and anyone, you know, with half a, you know, half a, half a catch on you while you're looking at the Cheerios can pick it up and run. Then I would also qualify those practices as being unsafe significantly. So you'd be better off leaving the gun at home. Yeah, I would agree. Totally. Is there anything else you can think of Matthew that we could insert into the phrase? You'd be better off just leaving the gun at home. 
I mean, I would say those are, those are the fundamental foundational things. I mean, we could get into kind of the mindset and understanding of like understanding if you, why you're carrying the gun to begin with, right? Like if once you you gone and shot and you, you understand all the things, you have a good, decent holster and you put it on to kind of like understand what, why am I carrying this? Because if you don't really understand why you're carrying it for, you know, the, the, when all else fails, right? Like the last ditch effort to save my life or somebody else's when all else fails, if you don't really just understand that basic concept, you could potentially use the firearm inappropriately or not use the firearm when you should. Right. And so I think I'm not saying that it jumps all the way to the the side of you shouldn't carry it because some of that is learned as you're going along. But I, I definitely think that you should have an understanding of like, if I have to use this firearm, you don't have to have, you know, know every single law and, and be a master of self-defense law, but you have to understand if I end up using this gun, it's going to be to save myself and I may end up shooting and killing a human being. Am I okay with that? Because if you're not, it's going to be a big awakening once you pull that gun out and realize you can't pull the trigger or you do pull the trigger. And then afterwards you're like, I, I can't believe I just shot somebody and I'm going to hell. And you know, so I think there has to be some sort of kind of a, you know, inner, inner understanding or piece of why you're carrying the gun. I think that'd be best practice maybe. Mm-hmm. The last one that comes to my mind, and you're the one who actually gave me the idea this morning when we were talking about this, but it's just the reality that the gun better be, better be uh, reliable to the point of, 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 you know, you can count on it, right? Like yes. it's actually going to function. If, if this is a gun that, you know, it malfunctions half of the rounds I fire, then I could make a very serious tactical error by going to that gun uh, mm-hmm. when I might have been better off just running or hiding or you know fighting hand to hand or whatever it might have been. So, you know, th- those are things I think all fall into the you know, the arguable category of you'd be better off leaving the gun at home. But outside of that, outside of that, assuming that you know how to hold and, sh- and point and shoot the gun at a target, assuming that you're carrying it in a way that's not straight up unsafe, assuming that the gun is functional and semi reliable. You're better off having it with you, even if you're not in the perfect loadout, right? You're better off, even if you do have to carry an ankle rig, even if it is off body, even if uh, it, you don't have the zombie killer 2,000 uh, rounds or the bush killer you know, 5,000 gun that just came out, or you can't carry it in the, the carry position everyone's hyping about, or you don't have the most fancy expensive holster, or you can't carry the spare mag, or you have yet to figure out how to keep a tourniquet on you all the time like everyone says you should, or you don't yet have another a, let, a less lethal option that you have that you can choose for, you know, choose to deploy before the gun. Uh, you know, I, I just think that all, while all those things, certainly there's a journey there and some things are better than others, you're still better off having the gun with you than leaving it at home. Agreed. Yep. Okay, so we've gotten that out of the way. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, that didn't get too animated. <laughs> so with that said, then, let's talk a little bit about how we do support each other in this industry. Let's talk about how we have conversations that strengthen people. Uh, Matthew, you and I both have children mm-hmm. uh, collectively between us. And sometimes I think that my, you know, I, I, I constantly have to grab my kids and tell them, something along the lines of it's not always what we say, it's how we say it. Yes. It's not always what we say, it's how we say it. You know, when I say go brush your teeth and get ready for bed, 
And my kid says, uh, dad, not now, you know, like that, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's a, how I said it problem. But if, if my kid <laughs> says, dad, can I, do you mind if I finish what I'm doing right now before I go brush my teeth? Then we have a conversation, right? Now that's something I have to explain to an eight year old, <laughs> but I shouldn't have to explain that comparably to an adult. So if someone goes online uh, today, Matthew, and they're in one of our Facebook groups or on our page and they say something like, you know, I'm thinking about carrying around a 22 for self-defense. What do you think? You know, what are, what are some potentially good or bad ways to respond to that question? Yeah, I think, I think, well, here's, here's one thing. Social media, we have to understand people say things on social media that they would never say to somebody's face um, because, you know, there's no, there's no repercussions for, for, you know, insulting somebody. Um, so we have to, when we put stuff out on Facebook, I think we, oh, we have to understand that the potential is there that we are going to receive trolls or whatever you want to say, right? Like whatever you want to call it, like negative feedback, feedback that's not beneficial, that could be derogatory or whatever. So we have to go into the understanding of if I'm going to elicit information or solicit uh, questions on the internet that I may not like what I get. And I have to be understanding that, okay, I'm not going to take it personally and get into a personal argument with everybody who, who says something derogatory. So I think if we go in with that mindset, first off, we're less likely to go down the rabbit hole of, you know, just arguing with somebody for the sake of arguing. Um, but I think it, it, when I look at this and I told this to Riley, I think a couple podcasts ago, I, a while back, I, I re looked at how I responded to people's comments and because I would write it and, and then I would say, why am I responding? Is this, is this going to be beneficial to this person or am I just trying to show that I know more than this person or, you know, kind of make fun of them. And if it's the latter and if it doesn't have any sort of beneficial, you know, use to the person, then I don't, I don't comment um, or I rewrite the comment. Right. So I think if somebody says, Hey, I'm thinking about carrying a 22 for self-defense. Um, I think the first kind of question I would ask is why, what, what are, why do you think 22 would be best for you? And, and, and we also have to understand sometimes in the comments isn't, doesn't really facilitate the best conversation, right? Cause people inter, interject and things. And, but if, so let's say you can have a one-on-one -on -one over, over, you know, texts on the, on Facebook, you know, wh why do you want a 22? Why did you decide to go with that and let them kind of justify it. And then you can kind of say, okay, this is where I think that you may be um, better in carrying a 380 or nine or 40 or whatever, because you said this. And in reality, this is actually better. But you, you don't go into it with putting the person on the defense right away. Like what you said is wrong and I'm going to teach you why it's, you know, tell me what you're thinking and then let's go over it. Yeah, it's like it's like you're trying to have a human conversation, <laughs> right? Or supportive or something, right? Like you got to. Right. It's almost like we got to treat everybody on the internet like it's our child, or our <laughs> spouse, or our boss, you know, and and say what, how how's the best way to approach this? Now, I'll give you two examples. I'm guilty, okay? I'm guilty. I try not to be guilty, um, but I am. So yesterday, um, you know, I saw this meme, like I said, and I responded in the comments, and I wrote a very very long tirade. Um, that is, you know, covers some of the things we've been talking about so far in this podcast. But you know what I failed to do? 
I failed to say something like, um, I understand why some people would make this comment uh, or that, you know, it's interesting that people think of it this way. Uh, I don't necessarily agree because, right? I didn't say anything that was kind uh, or nice. I just immediately said, you know, what the crap, guys? Like, what? I can't believe we still say crap like this. And then I went off. So is it, is it okay to, to shame a shamer? You know, someone asked that in our company meeting this morning. They said, well, you know, we shouldn't be shaming people, but if someone else is shaming, you know, should we be shaming them? And the answer to that has got to be a big no. And so I feel bad. I've, like I, I've been sitting here thinking, you know, since, since that yesterday when I wrote that long tirade on that Facebook comment, I've been thinking the person who posted that meme, I, I, I just insulted them, right? And they might've just, for all I know, they were just doing it for entertainment sake. Maybe they don't actually feel that way. Maybe they don't actually think you'd be better off leaving the gun at home. Maybe they're just sharing a meme that they thought was funny. And here I am in the comments, you know, basically berating them. And that's not okay either. So I feel really bad about that. Uh, now, on the flip side, I'll tell you one, one success I had. Yesterday, someone in, in, in a Facebook group asked the question. They said, I'm thinking about getting a shoulder holster. Uh, what shoulder holsters do people use? You know, give me recommendations. And there were good, I don't know, 10 or 15 comments from people saying, I use this shoulder holster. It's great. Try that shoulder holster, whatever. And I was tempted for a moment to write something on the lines of, shoulder holsters are not the best carry rig. Here are the 10 bazillion reasons why they're not the best. You should definitely consider X, Y, and Z alternative. And I stopped myself, maybe because I'd already had that other experience yesterday. And instead I wrote, out of curiosity, I'd love to hear why you guys carry on a shoulder rig. You know, what, what is the reason why you feel that's the best for you? And I just left it there and a couple of people did respond. And it was one of those, I don't have anything nice to say things, so don't say anything at all. Uh, but I, I did want to know. And in fact, one of the people did give me an answer that I had never thought of before, that I had, it never crossed my mind as that being a legitimate reason to use a shoulder holster. So, you know, those are two experiences I had yesterday. Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting because um, you, you kind of showed two different ways that you responded and the results that you got out of it. So like, you know, you, you, you said, you know, you kind of responded in a more controlled or tempered uh, response on the, the shoulder holster one. And you got actually response that you, you, you didn't think, and it didn't change your mind about, you know, shoulder carry, right. Uh, carrying a shoulder holster, but it broadened your understanding of why somebody may. Um, and I think that sometimes in our effort to kind of show ourselves as the duty or the, 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 the expert that we are, right. Um, or that we believe we are, um, we miss the ability to learn. And I'm not saying in every case we're going to, you know, say, Oh, you know what? I learned a different thing about shoulder holsters that I didn't think about. It may happen, but it won't happen for sure. If we attack somebody right off the bat, you know? And so it's important. I think it is important to police our own. I think that's an important thing because, if we see somebody doing something incorrectly, dangerously, um, negligently, you know, it's our, it's our duty to kind of, you know, correct that, but in a way that helps them actually want to correct it. Because I don't know if your kids do this, um, but I know like sometimes if I tell my daughter to do something, she doesn't want to do it right then and there because I told her how I wanted her to do it. But if I just say, don't do that and let's try it a different way, she'll end up doing what I wanted her to do anyways, but she does it because 
she thinks that she's doing what she wants to do. So if we can kind of like, I don't know if that makes sense, but get people to want to correct their behavior by us influencing them rather than just saying, do this because you're wrong. Um, I, I think it goes a, a, a longer way for people to kind of correct their behavior on their own. Yeah, it's real easy if I see that comment that says, you know, I am thinking about, I, I'm th- thinking about carrying a 22 for self-defense. What do you guys think? It's, you know, I can think of lots of different ways I could approach that, right? I could, I could be the eight-year-old and I could say something like, 22 sucks, man. You know, get the, <laughs> get the nine, or get the 45. It's one, two world wars, you know? <laughs> But, uh, you know, I could, I could also step it up and I could, I could do kind of similar to what I did on, on, you know, the one yesterday about carrying around the chamber where I can explain my thinking, but do it in not necessarily the kindest approach, right? I could say something like, uh, you know, the industry, we generally don't think of a 22 as being you know, the most suitable for self-defense because of X, Y, Z reasons. You know, da, da, da. I'm being a little, a little bit more valuable now, right? A little bit more useful. But I think the real high road, the real high road is something along the lines of, hey, I am so stoked for you that you are carrying or planning to carry a gun every day. That's a huge step forward, and I applaud your decision. I think it's great. Uh, I remember when I first started out, and I had lots of questions similar to the one you're asking, and I think you're going to find that you know, while some people can be harsh, you're going to get a lot of great feedback on Facebook uh, for people who really understand this, uh, you know, might I ask why you're thinking the 22 is right for you? Or are you familiar with muzzle pounds uh, per square inch? Or what research you know, have you done about a terminal v- ballistics or you know, whatever, right? And I can start a conversation that's actually useful. And I, I think it's hard sometimes because sometimes we're just in a hurry. We're just cruising the Facebook feed and we're just like, I just want to pop something quick and move on. And I think that's where sometimes the errors happen. Yeah. And that goes, all goes back to kind of the basic, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. I would add like, if you don't have anything constructive to add to the conversation on Facebook, scroll past it, you know, um, because there's some people that just don't understand that you can scroll past posts on Facebook and not comment. It's not an obligation that you comment on every post that shows up in whatever you call the feed, right? Like you can disagree and just scan or, you know, scroll on um, and have some thick skin because if you're on Facebook, if you're on social media, you're going to get trolls. You're going to get people that just want to get under your skin. And if, if that bothers you, then, you know, then only post to people that you want to hear from, you know, because um, if you just post in a random chat group or something, the chances of somebody being a jerk is pretty high. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll, I'll add that, you know, we've been talking a lot about Facebook and social media and stuff like that, but all this is also true in person. You know, when, Mm -hmm. when you see someone at the range, uh, Matthew, you mentioned you had an experience recently, you were at the range and you saw someone, you know, doing some self-defensive type practice. Yeah. Single action revolver. And you had an opportunity in that moment to decide, you know, what, if anything, to say to that person. Yeah. And, and I don't generally give, if I'm at the public range and somebody's shooting, I generally do not go over there and tell them anything unless it's unsafe. And the only reason why I went over and said anything to this gentleman, he was an older gentleman. I think he was with maybe his son or something. He may have been 60 so, and his son maybe around my age, 40, 
mid forties or something like that. Um, and he was, sh- the, the older guy was shooting a single action revolver and it looked like it had been drugged drug out of like a, an ocean. It, it was like corrode, had some corrosion and, and, and he was just squeezing the trigger and every, you know, seventh time, maybe it'd fire around. Right. And it was a 22 long rifle, um, cartridge. And, and I just went over and I said, Hey, you know, cause they were talking about, you know, trying to teach him, you know, in, a, in self-defense shooting, this is what you're going to have to do. And so I just went over there and I said, Hey, I got a couple, I have a 365. I have a couple other guns. If, if you're interested in shooting like a semi-automatic, because I was noticing you were having a lot of, a lot of problems with the firearm. And I didn't want, I thought it was a, a potentially dangerous situation where the gun could fail or something. So I didn't go down. I, I you know, I said, you know, would you like to, to carry, to try something else to see if you'd like to carry? And immediately it, they were on the defensive. And I said it like as humbly as I possibly could, right? And um, they were like, well, if he's carrying anything, it's better than nothing. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with this, you know? And I was just like, all right, you know, I, I just just trying to help. And I, I left, but I was thinking, you know, like I couldn't have handled that any better as far as like trying to give him constructive feedback. Um, and, you know, I, I went home and I, this was this happened a while ago. And I was thinking, you know, what could I have done differently? But it dawned on me, you know, there are some people that you just cannot help. Like you can give, be, have the best intentions and you can give them the best information and advice and they, for whatever reason, just do not want it. And maybe it's just then and there they don't want it. And maybe afterwards this guy went out and bought a 365 and he was like, you know, loving it. But, you know, um, there, may be, there may be situations where you try to be beneficial and helpful and they just don't receive it at that. And you have to know when to just, you know, kind of say, I'm going to use my efforts somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm with you. So today's episode, guys, was called, I call BS, stop shaming and the perfect loadout. I call BS on phrases like that. Phrases that suggest that you're better off leaving the gun at home than not having around in the chamber. I think we need to... Uh, be open to the fact that some of these cliches we've used all the time are really bad cliches. Like we said, the title of this episode says stop shaming. And you know, we've talked a lot about how we need to be helpful. We need to be supportive. We need to guide people. We need to uh, be be you know good at providing good information and education, but also validating people when they do good things, when they, when they make good decisions and when they're whatever point they are in their journey, even if it's not where we are with our journey. And last, we talked about the perfect loadout and the reality that no matter what you carry or how you carry it, it's not ideal. We all make some sacrifices or concessions uh, relative to our loadout. And wherever you are in your journey, it is valuable to not become complacent, to not use excuses to justify what and how you carry, but to think about how you can improve. What does that look like to uh, get a little bit further uh, forward, right? How, How do I... You know, maybe get a, a better carry position, or how do I, you know, get a better carry a bigger gun if that's what's important to me, or how do I start carrying medical gear? So, ask yourself the honest questions and think about how you can improve your loadout. And I think that that's kind of the the main messages that I wanted to share today. Yeah, I, I think we hit those. Um, you know, it, it, and I, I've sensed the theme uh, the past couple episodes, or maybe past month or two months, um, that were. And it's important to me, and I know it is to you, Jacob, and, and to Riley as well, is that we're good ambassadors 
of, you know, educating, um, shooters and, and, and people, gun owners. And so I think it's, is it, that's all of our duty, not just to be good, you know, instructors, but good people in general. And I think, um, a lot of this stuff makes sense in the context of how to talk to somebody about the perfect loadout, but it also makes sense on how to treat other people that may cut you off or take your parking spot or have, you know, 15 items in a 10 item or less grocery line, right? Like, I think if we start looking at things in general, um, with a, a more compassion towards other people and more understanding or attempt to understand, I think those specific instances will also fall in line and everybody will be more, uh, better for it. Yep. Well said, did it or that. <laughs> Okay. Well, folks, we appreciate you tuning in with us today. Appreciate everyone who listened and tuned in. If you haven't already, will you do us a favor? Will you go to iTunes and write us a review and rate this podcast? Uh, It's really important. Uh, iTunes recently redid their entire uh, algorithm and setup, and they no longer use the same kinds of categories, and they no longer let people search by subcategory. So it's harder than ever to find a podcast like ours uh, when you're searching for it on iTunes or Google Play or any other podcast app or podcatcher. So if you please do us a favor and go to iTunes or wherever it is that you go to search for and find podcasts and rate our podcast, give it five stars, write a review, tell us what you love or hate. And we really appreciate those. And it really helps more people find our podcast and helps us grow our audience. And that, of course, makes it easier for us to keep on recording. So with that said, remember to train right, train off, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Thanks, everyone. Reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.